0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: Welcome, 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 welcome Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast.
0: Uh, Ms. Bergen, it's good to talk to you. How are you?
2: I'm good, Roy.
0: Let's start with this. It's time for the uh, the trucker blockades and the disruptive protests to end everywhere in this country. I, I know you agree with that, uh, but your party's view of and support for the truckers' convoy has changed. Talk to us about that, please.
2: Well, you know, Roy, it, it, it has not changed in terms of we, we recognize why the truckers came to Ottawa and, and not only the truckers. This has grown. This isn't just truckers now. This is a large part of Canadian society, Canadians who are tired of being talked down to, they're tired of, uh, Justin Trudeau's approach to them, calling them names, they're tired of being controlled by government, and they want an end to the, to the mandates and the restrictions. They've seen it happening in other countries, they've seen restrictions being lifted in other, in provinces, and so, uh, after they've been ignored and called names and wedged and stigmatized by a prime minister, they came to Ottawa and uh, I know uh, this is, we're heading into our third Sunday. When they first arrived, I had constituents that were there and may still be there. Uh, we talked to them. You know, we think it's important that you, we talk to Canadians and that we understand where they're coming from. My message on Thursday, we've introduced a motion that would ask the House of Commons to vote uh, on a motion compelling and asking the government to present a plan uh, that would end all the federal mandates and restrictions. And my message, Roy, is that we hear the protesters, we hear them loud and clear, but Conservatives are also a party of law and order, and we are a party uh, of keeping a strong Canadian economy. And so both of those things are being hurt right now, so we're encouraging them, protest peacefully, protest legally, but don't block bridges and borders and, uh, and, and hurt innocent people. And I don't believe that is what they want to do. So that's our message.
0: Now, the situation of the Ambassador Bridge appears to be improving, um, and it's significant because that is a hugely important link between the United States and Canada, and the commerce that we do in this country. So let me ask you this: Then the Prime Minister and I, I tweeted out your exchange with the Prime Minister, which was on your Twitter feed, and he didn't answer your question. That had to do with vaccines. But is there? What's your sense of how the Prime Minister is dealing with what is developing in in this country? How much cooperation do you have with Mr. Trudeau when it comes to approaching this, let's call it what it is, crisis uh, in in at least a cooperative manner?
2: He's done a terrible job, Roy. And uh, you know he's not only not provided solutions, he's not uh, indicated that he would even listen to people. He's actually thrown gas on the fire. I mean when you when you look at what they've been he and and his ministers and the government has been saying, Over the last week to all of the questions that we've asked, it's, it's like they've almost purposefully been trying to poke at the protesters. Yesterday was the first time it seemed like his language was changing a little bit, which was good. However, you know, I, I think that there's reason to distrust. Is he actually wanting to find a solution or does he believe that they are uh, misogynists and racist with unacceptable views on the fringe? Disgusting. These are all words he used to describe the protesters. We believe that, you know, when you actually understand where they're coming from and, and, and we, I mean, they're, they're not a they group. They're all of us. They're the people that I represent. They're the people that are represented right across the country, young and old, different walks of life, different political stripes. This isn't a left right protest. This is Canadians from every spectrum and every background. That have had enough of divisive, the divisiveness that Trudeau's used and, and he's used the pandemic for division. And they've also had enough of the government telling them they can't go to the store and they can't, uh, gotta wear a mask all the time and control, control, control from the government when the science right now is not backing up continual lockdowns. And in fact, the science is saying and, and other jurisdictions are saying it's time to open up. So, so would you, uh, would you then I, agree? I
0: Ms. Bergen, would you then agree, well, let me ask you, put it this way, what do you believe the correct approach is to dealing with COVID vaccination uh, mandates and restrictions? Is it time to follow the lead of England, for example, uh, and end restrictions except in specific situations like wearing a mask when entering a long-term care facility is concerned?
2: Listen, I think it's time that we... Take ideology and politics out of the approach. And it wasn't me that just said this. Uh, Lightbound, the MP, uh, Liberal MP said this. Take politics and ideology out of the approach to COVID and look at what the science says. The science says and the evidence is that almost 90 per 90% of Canadians have at least one vaccine, and that's good. You know, many many of them are double and triple vaccinated. So we've got our vaccine. Uh, the variants are uh, have proven to not, this latest variant has proven to not be as difficult. Uh, Let's just follow the evidence and and then make decisions based on that. And I think that's what we wanted to hear from from the Prime Minister, that he would say, yes, we sure do hear the protesters. And and, and ideally, he wouldn't have uh, put this policy in place in the first place, the vaccine mandates for truckers. That would have helped. But it seems like over and over, he makes bad decisions on on the pandemic. He hasn't contributed very much. No, he has not. He's been divisive and he's not helping. He needs to act to solve this problem and solve this impasse. This lays squarely at his feet. So
0: you're the interim leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. I think you'd be a great permanent leader of the party. I've always had a lot of respect for you uh, upfront and straightforward here. You've always answered questions that I've asked and I appreciate that, but let's uh, let's talk about your party. You're the interim leader because it didn't work out for Mr. O'Toole observers will easily see divisions within the conservative party of canada we saw it when aaron o'toole expelled senator denise batters from the parliamentary caucus for challenging his leadership of the conservative party senate caucus refused to expel the senator are there significant divisions rather within the party which are a threat to cohesion within the conservative party of canada and if so how are you going to address any divisions during your time as interim leader
2: You know, um, I, I look at what some of the things the Liberals have done in terms of identity politics. And as Conservatives, we don't like identity politics. And I think it's important that as Conservatives, we don't buy into that ourselves, where we divide ourselves up into red Tories and social Conservatives and ones from the West and ones from Quebec. That's not the way Conservatives operate. We are one Conservative party with a wide variety of views we like talking about our different views. We think that in truth and in practicality, that actually means better policy for Canadians, uh, for our party, and then what we can offer Canadians. So my answer to you, Roy, is we will never be a party where everybody agrees on everything. And that's a good thing. Uh, I can tell you that right now our caucus is united. They're focused. They recognize that there's a huge challenge facing the country. And the Conservatives, we can be part of the healing and, and the restoration and actually bring answers to the problems that Canadians are facing, and so we're united. And uh, you know, we, we have a the goal right now, short term, let's see the mandates and the the, the uh, restrictions lifted, let's find peace uh, and order and good governance come back to Canada, and then we've got big big issues around the economy, inflation, gas prices. There are big issues facing the country. So that's what we're doing right now in the interim, and we have a leadership race that uh, is already uh, unofficially started and and will be officially started at some point in the the future.
0: Uh, Certainly the liberals have issues within their party. Mr. Lightbound certainly made that clear to the country, and all we have to do is look back at uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, Selena Cesar-Chavan, Jane Philpott, um, and, and Bill Morneau. The list goes on. So let me just say two words to you and let me get a response from you. Carbon tax.
2: Well, my thought on the carbon tax is uh, my position as interim leader is that it's going to be up to a new leader. Uh, we've got candidate, one who's, who's already declared and others I'm sure that will. They're going to have to articulate their position on the carbon tax to our membership and, uh, and then get a mandate on that. So my position is I am going to go back to party policy, our grassroots policy which is we don't oppose or we don't support tax increases. We uh we don't think it's ever a good thing to increase or put more taxes on Canadians and I can promise you this that conservatives don't believe that Trudeau's carbon tax has done a thing to help the environment or to accomplish anything good for Canadians. So That's going to be uh, my position, but it'll be up to a new leader to articulate what they believe is the best position for the party and then uh, get a mandate from the membership on that.
0: Okay, One more question for you, and this is on the international front, but it does involve this country and specifically Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine requested from Canada weapons to defend itself from Russian aggression. The Prime Minister refused to honor this request. Other governments within NATO and not in NATO are providing Ukraine with weapons with which to defend itself against potential aggression by Russia. What's your sense of what this country should be doing in this particularly internationally very concerning situation?
2: Well, Canada has traditionally previously uh, been known to be uh, standing with our allies, standing with democracy, standing... Uh, with uh, with countries around the world that share our values and uh, that could be um, victims of, of bullies and, and uh, other uh, bad actors. So we believe that we need to continue that. I mean, the problem with the current government is we're just so diminished. We have leadership that has uh, lost so much respect on the world stage, and uh, whether it's dealing with China, whether it's uh, dealing with Iran, uh, and now Russia, we're just so diminished. And so we have to get back to principles foreign policy, where although we're small, we we have a voice and we need to be speaking up, being principled and supporting allies like like Ukraine.
0: John Ibbotson joins us on the Roy Green Show, uh, op-ed writer, columnist for The Globe and Mail. Just a couple of days ago, Mr. Ibbotson's column was Justin Trudeau needs to show he can lead during a crisis. Um, One of uh, John Ibbotson's books is Stephen Harper. Echoes of Stephen Harper in this country these days. John, how are you? Thanks for coming on the program. Good to be on, Roy. So the Trudeau liberal government, you uh, write in the column, seemed, quote, listless, directionless, and bored before the trucker's convoy arrived in Ottawa. And then we have the Ambassador Bridge becoming the focus of disruption of traffic flow. And you write, this is when Trudeau needed to lead. You're not seeing that. Not real leadership from the prime minister. Please speak to us about that.
3: Yeah, the um, the Liberals had won a, a, a narrow victory. Remember, they lost the popular vote. Um, and it seemed almost from the time of that victory that Justin Trudeau uh, was having um, some difficulty finding his direction, uh, a sense of purpose in the third mandate. It took, it took a long time to get a cabinet reappointed. It took a long time to get the legislature back. There have only been a dozen bills introduced into the House, and most of them are either <clears throat> housekeeping bills or... Uh, legislation that had died in the last parliament that was being reintroduced. Uh, so and that was before the protests began, and uh, I think some of us were wondering when the you know when the third government was going to find its focus, what its mandate was going to be, what uh, what the whole purpose of it was going to be, or whether indeed Justin Trudeau was himself thinking about perhaps stepping down as prime minister uh, sooner or later. All that, and then the demonstrations arrived.
0: Yeah, and. You referenced in your piece the Mark Carney column, or op-ed, that he wrote for the Globeman Whale, and it seems that Mr. Carney is sitting there, and you write about this, saying essentially, well, if he won't, I will.
3: That could be one way of interpreting that line. You can't spin your way out of failure. Um, obviously he is being rumored as a potential successor, successor, successor for Justin Trudeau. That said, he didn't run in the last federal election when he had an opportunity. Um, there are lots of other people who I think would be in the running uh, for the leadership if there were to be one. Um, Christopher Frieden, the finance minister, Anand um, the uh, health, uh, defense minister. So it's not certain that he would get it. But if uh, the Conservatives-elect uh, Pierre as, as leader, there uh, with with that very populist, um, you know, farther to the right conservative stance, then you're going to have a lot of people who might not welcome that in the Conservative Party. You might be looking for an alternative, and a more fiscally conservative, economically sound um, alternative in someone like Mark Carney might be attractive to uh, to you know, sort of red Tories.
0: Mark Carney for the Conservative.
3: Well, uh, Mr. Possibility? Con- Mr. Carney- Mr. Carney, Mr. Carney would be a very interesting uh, candidate for the Conservatives, but he's not going to run for them. But I think Mr. Carney's leader, the Liberals, would interest Conservatives who don't feel they could vote for Pierre Poilievre.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. So Trudeau has insisted on calling the protesters against the vaccine mandates keeps going back to that as a fringe minority with unacceptable views. And when we look at what happened when his now former Quebec caucus chair, Joel Lightbound, stood up and said, stop dividing Canadians, stop being so divisive on this issue. I wonder just how much uh, divisiveness there is within that liberal caucus. Are we seeing the the ice begin to crack, John?
3: In the third term, it's always hard to keep your caucus under control. Stephen Harper had a lot of trouble with his caucus in the third term as well. Remember, they rebelled against uh, being allowed to speak on abortion issues. Um, So it's always hard for a third government to keep itself together. It doesn't really matter whether you're liberal or conservative. Um, Pierre Trudeau had an unsuccessful third government. Jean Chrétien had an unsuccessful third government. Stephen Harper had an unsuccessful third government. Um, And maybe now this is about to happen with Justin Trudeau as well. Uh, But, yeah, it's hard to keep people disciplined when you get into your third term. Mm
0: -hmm. your view though is that the conservative party's response to the truckers convoy is even more dangerous and dividing to the party than what the liberals are doing i do believe that
3: uh look i think there are a large minority of canadians well almost all canadians are completely fed up with this pandemic and a large minority of them want to see us move quickly uh to to end restrictions um uh, and and even to lift mandates on on vaccinations um, Doug Ford, I think in Ontario, is is trying to keep that group of people on the side, even as he moved to dismantle the blockades um, in Windsor. Mr. Trudeau has decided that he doesn't want to portray anti-vaccine protesters. Uh, well, not anti-vaccine protesters, but ad- those who hold the idea that vaccines shouldn't be mandatory. He's the one who wants to divide, who wants to, to paint them as marginalized. And you know, there may be more of them than he thinks. Certainly. Um, uh, it, it is a potential problem for him as uh, if those people turn against him. But it is an even bigger problem for the Conservatives if they are tied to the protest and tied to um, being seen as sympathetic to those who are occupying um, Ottawa and occupying Windsor because the Windsor uh, occupation you know, did severe damage to the economy in the space of only a few days. And the Ottawa occupation is turning into just that, um, a group of people who have demands that cannot possibly met, have seized possession of the downtown, I won't give it up. I cannot believe that it is going to be uh, beneficial to the Conservative Party to be tied with that group occupying the city or and, and occupying uh, Windsor.
0: Yeah, I uh, I sense as well, and I spoke just spoke with your friend Daryl Bricker a couple of minutes ago, and co-author Daryl Bricker. Uh, about the issue and about the protests that are taking place in this country and the polling that uh, I did for Global News and uh, said to Daryl, when this ends, when this trucker protest and the other protests across the country aligned with it end, it's not over for governments. It's not over for political parties because Canadians just seem to be more emboldened, more willing to be more uh, energetic, let's use that word, energetic and protesting, something we've only just seen develop over the last few years.
3: Well, um, I'm not sure about that. I've just been doing some research, actually, (laughs) and things are pretty lively in the 1960s. Uh, You had some pretty big demonstrations there, and riots, even. Um, But there is no question, I think, that um, the populism that emerged in the United States with the arrival of Donald Trump as president the incredible stresses to the society that we have undergone through two years of pandemic right. um, have, have left people of all stripes, ill-tempered and, uh, and out of sorts, have led to increased populism more on the right than on the left. But there is also uh, you know, a, a lot of populism on the left as well, with Black Lives Matter, for example. So maybe we are more, uh, have a greater tendency to go out on the street than we used to for both the left and the right. The question is: Is that a temporary phenomenon, or will it die down when when the, the stresses that are causing them die down?
0: Yeah, more stresses include the uh, the uh, inflation rate and uh, soon to arrive interest rates. It won't be a massive climb by the Bank of Canada; obviously, be minor, but it will have an impact. And people are just people are just fed up, as you said. I've been saying that when it when it comes to um, people's willingness to debate, to discuss, and I've been doing this for years on, on talk radio, there always seems to be uh, some space between, okay, here's my opinion, and here's what I'm willing to discuss. Here's what I'm willing to entertain. And there's a space between my opinion and what I'm willing to uh, to entertain. But that space has almost disappeared now. Here's my opinion. Don't argue with me.
3: I think that's one of the legacies of social media, and I'm not being particularly innovative saying that. Many, many others have made the point. Uh, One of the impacts of the Internet and then the social media, Twitter and Facebook and the like, is that people have a tendency to harden their attitudes. They have a tendency to speak very emphatically, um, and they uh, are less likely to engage in dialogue. And then that translates not just in social media, but into political discourse generally. Newspapers like the Globe and Mail try to have a diversity of views on staff as well as in invited voices, We try to keep it civil. We try to accept the fact that the other side has a point, too. But it can be increasingly difficult in this society to um, have that kind of civil discourse. Even to have a space for that kind of civil discourse is permitted. And, yeah, that's dangerous and that's worrying.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? you need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
0: A couple of days ago, so sort of early in the week, I was thinking about what we're dealing with the, uh, truckers' protest. I mean, that's what it's called generically, the truckers' protest, or the protest that goes along with the truckers' convoys. Just use whatever words you want. But I got to thinking about a column I'd read, an op-ed I read, and I thought, when was this? And who wrote it? And the second part of that came to me first. It was Professor Ken Coates, Canada Research Chair in Regional Innovation at the University of Saskatchewan, He's a Monk Senior Fellow in Aboriginal and Northern issues at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. His books include What to Consider if You're Considering University, New Rules for Education and Employment, and Treaty Peoples Finding Common Ground with Aboriginal People in Canada. So I went back and I found that on the 4th of December, so long before, the national Canadian truckers, convoys and blockades began international. Now we heard Professor Thierry Bro tell us last hour that it's underway in Paris, or at least in France. So I went back and I found that on the 4th of December in the Globe and Mail, there was this op-ed that was written by Professor Coates. And the headline is, the lead is, Canada's failure to properly respond to protests threatens democracy and the rule of law. The country is entering this current age of unrest, weakened and unsure of how to cope with an assertive citizenry. Ken, thank you for coming on the program. This this was what's the word? Prescient? I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> prescient, prescient. I don't know how to pronounce it. But well, it was. And, and it was I a-
4: hope I hope it I hope it's of some value. It, it was designed to sort of draw people's attention to the danger of not standing up for the rule of law and also not respecting the, the bounds of protest. Yeah. Um, and it turned out to be timely.
0: It did. So let me just read a couple of lines at the beginning of your your piece. These are tumultuous times. Remember, this is the 4th of December this appeared. These are tumultuous times. The 2020s may not match the power to the people protests of the 1960s or even the Occupy movements and anarchist uprisings of the 2010s, but recent Canadian conflicts have a nasty and angry edge and while the country may have avoided the kinds of very destructive conflicts experienced south of the border the re-emergence of bitter confrontations challenges democracy and once more tests the ability of our government to sustain the rule of law so please ken where are we
4: Uh, we're not doing very well to be honest Um, and then in one sense it's kind of hard to put the toothpaste back in the toothpaste tube because you sort of wish they'd been doing this about two or three years ago so what's happened is in the last last five or 10, 10 years, we've taken a very lax approach to sort of protests. We've let groups tolerate, you know, interrupt rail lines for, for, for days and days and days on end. We've had you know, shutdowns of uh, perfectly legitimate, fully permitted uh, pipeline projects in Western Canada. Um, these are all legitimate, appropriate work that's being done, everybody, everyday lives of everyday people. And somebody decides, my opinion, my, my political opinion, is more valuable than all the dislocation, all the problem that I'm counting that I'm that I'm I'm causing. And and we didn't do it back then. And now we're all of a sudden faced with something it's that's, that's huge. And and this protest is actually circulating not just you mentioned Paris, it's in New Zealand now. And they're actually calling themselves, you know, the Truckers Convoy, and they're they're laying siege to Parliament. Not in a military sense, but they're they're down there. I should mention because I think you'll find this interesting, Roy, that the New Zealand government's taking a far more aggressive approach. They've arrested like 122 people yesterday, and they've really taken out the full armament today. What they've done is they're starting to play Barry Manilow songs as a way of trying to get people to leave the parliamentary precinct uh, and stay away from the front yard of the legislature. So you know that that you're talking about a government that's really serious when they're putting Barry Banlow on a t- 10 yeah five
0: loop, minutes loop. five minutes of Mandy and I'm gone,
4: <laughs> that's, it, that's it, you know. So so we've we've lost the opportunity to do it right, and now we're trying to struggle and sort of you know figure out how to get rid of this one conflict. Um, you know, the people behind this protest, there are some some anarchists. There's some really intense people. There's a, hundreds of there thousands of very normal, average, everyday Canadians who who've got legitimate things to protest about. They just have chosen to do it in non-legitimate ways.
0: Yeah, I just want to read a little more from your column because it really speaks to what you just said and it takes it into my next question. The parameters are clear. So if we're talking about protests, the kind of protests that take place, what people expect and what people will tolerate and- probably more significantly even what governments will tolerate, because they ultimately have the power to stop the protest, depending on how much of that power they choose to exercise. The parameters are clear. Governments make laws and regulations. The police and the courts enforce these rules. Protesters express their points of view, and to attract attention and reinforce their points, disrupt regular activities. Provided the protests are time-limited, non-destructive, and without immediate consequences for people, resources, and facilities, the police and governments tolerate short-term disruptions. Problems emerge when the protests are prolonged, when there's violence, if commercial interests are disrupted, or if broader society is seriously inconvenienced. When people become unruly, when the law is ignored, when the duly constituted authority is threatened, lines have literally been crossed. So that has all happened in the last three weeks, and yet we've looked at government, and particularly the federal government, that has been caught, let me be generous here, caught in the paralysis of analysis.
4: I I hope they're doing at least some analysis. I've been really surprised uh, in the sense that they knew this was coming. It's not as though people sort of magically appeared in Ottawa one day and they go, oh, my gosh, we've got a protest in front of our our parliament. They had had days to work on this and they had strategies and they had plans. Uh, They turned out not to be the right strategies or the right plans. They certainly didn't work. I think they underestimated the number of people, but they completely underestimated uh, their determination. So the people behind this protest, you're seeing it now in the Ambassador's Bridge, you're seeing it now in, in all across the country down in Alberta and Saskatchewan. People are, are have a real bug in their ear about the whole idea of not just vaccine mandates, but the, the growing authority and interventions of government. That's a really serious challenge uh, to the political political powers that be in this country. Um, And these folks are determined to make their their point heard. But I think the the overwhelming majority of Canadians are perfectly happy to hear those arguments. What they're not happy to hear is people having days and days of of disruptions in downtown Ottawa, having the southern Ontario economy shut down uh, because of the, the blockage on the Ambassador Bridge. I mean, clearly we have to do better as a country in keeping these things under control.
0: So governments have had the opportunity to prepare it's not um, a surprise that Canadians are fed up, that we've had enough, that these 22 months are being locked down on several occasions. When we've been told that we're going, if you're vaccinated twice, you're going to be fine, life will return to normal. No, it won't. You're going to be vaccinated a third time. And now here comes the annual vaccination, and people are getting their backs up, they're speaking out, they're on social media. They sh- governments should have seen this coming, they did see it coming. But they are not prepared. Is it because, let me be generous again, are they caught in the paralysis of analysis or are they just deer in the headlights?
4: I I think, to be honest, and this applies to all the governments, it's very much a deer in the headlights. I think they expected that the truckers and and the freedom convoys would act like all the other protests in Canada, uh, which basically, you know, people make their point and then they go home. Um, And I always draw people's attention to the fact that we had a magnificent example of how to do this properly. And that's idle no more. 2012, 2013. There were actually several hundred protests. It was very similar to what we're seeing right now. They also did not have an organized leadership. They did not have a clear platform. It wasn't a, a well orchestrated, you know, political movement in that particular kind of sense. Uh, but they were not violent. Violent. They did not disrupt things very much. They closed down you know, the Lionsgate Bridge for an hour, that kind of thing disrupted the Gardner Street for a couple of hours. These were these were inconveniences. They weren't ma- major dislocations of everyday life. And what happened with I don't know more is that the country as a whole looked and said, these folks are really serious about this. They're really making a point. Okay, we've listened to them. And we've had a huge change since 2012 in the approach of all governments across this country to indigenous people. In other words, they got they got their message through. You've got a situation now where governments are actually reluctant to to do what they were going to do anyway, which is remove some of these restrictions in an organized kind of way because they don't want the the protesters to think they won. Um, And, in fact, we actually heard this in Manitoba where the government actually came out and said, okay, we're going to start removing restrictions, uh, you know, this next week. And the reaction by some of the people in the protest lines were, ah, they listened to us, they followed through. Well, they were actually already planning that. And governments are now playing this really interesting game of saying, boy, if we give in to them now, then the next group that has a thing with us is going to come down and protest in the same sort of way. We have not put parameters around legitimate protest in this country. We've, we've let it sort of get away from us in a whole bunch of different ways. The the freedom call convoys have taken advantage of that, of that laxness and that weakness, uh, and, they've, and now we're paying a price. And I, I tell you what I worry about is two things. I worry about the fact that other protesters will say, well, Freedom convoy got away with this. So now we know the tactics that actually will work in the future to get not only the country's attention but the global globe's attention. But we've also given enormous credence to to this idea that the government was not listening to the people. And in this context, I don't mean just the, the liberal government, but I mean all of parliament. They've 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 been you know inconsistent, they've been quiet, they haven't really been meeting very much with the with the truckers. And they should have done that, you know, not, not when they got to Ottawa and caused problems. They should have been meeting with them back in their constituencies uh, for weeks on end, which is uh, local provincial politicians have been doing that, and the provincial politicians are being more responsive.
3: Yeah.
0: Unfortunately, and I said this to Brian Mulrooney. Brian Mulrooney, Ken. In, in 1991, I had a one-hour sit-down exclusive interview with Brian Mulrooney in Toronto, and I said to him at the time, Mr. Prime Minister, one of the things that I hear repeatedly is that at the constituency level, the members of parliament we elect have no power, no significance, no say, because it all comes back to you making the decision about what's going to take place. And he said, I'm tired of the bitchers and complainers. And that went around the country. That quote went across the country. And I thought, bad move, bad quote. It came back to bite him. But we have, again, we have a situation where I think this liberal government and it probably would be true of any any party that were in power, it all comes back to the person who's sitting at the head of the table. They all defer, and those who don't can are gone from the caucus, gone from the party. And so you have an ineffectual situation, I'm editorializing here, an ineffectual situation where one person makes the call, and if that person makes the wrong call, here we are.
4: Well, that certainly seems to be the case, and not just at the federal level, but provincially in different provinces and, and what have you. Um, I think we're, we actually are seeing a really serious challenge to the way we do politics in this country. And, and we have to give, you know, we can be frustrated. I'm frustrated as heck with the, with the protesters. I have uh, my two sons, two older sons, both live in, in Ottawa, and they're seeing their life disrupted in a whole bunch of ways. And I think, OK, you have made your point, you know, shut down, get out of the way, you know, you, what have you. I think we're actually seeing the beginning of a, of a much more worrisome sort of movement. The people who were strongly opposed to government intervention in this country a year and a half ago probably represented about 2% of the of the electorate. Um, in the federal election, if you take the People's Party vote as, as a significant thing, that was up to 5%. I think it's at least 10 to 15% now and probably growing larger. So I don't think the freedom of convoy is going to have whatever effect it has on the vaccine mandates. Those things are starting to go. Canada is one of the last countries to liberalize their their rules and regulations. We're seeing the end of that, which is really, okay. really good. Um, right. But I think we haven't saw, seen the end of, of a restructuring of Canadian politics, where people, people are uh, going to demand very dramatic changes.
0: Ken, one of the things they could have done, Trudeau could have done, He's, he could have followed the uh, the uh, wishes of the chick- Canadian Chamber of Commerce, Canadian Federation of Independent Business, several premiers, Kenny and Moe, both have been on this program, said the very same thing, and that is, don't put in place a cross-border trucker vaccine mandate in the middle of January. If you want to do it later in the summer, fine, but not now. It's terrible timing. He didn't listen. He was stubborn about it. Other times, he's been absent. So, I don't know where that fits into, or if it does fit into what you're about, just tell us about what's to come as far as changes are concerned in the way governments and people interact.
4: Well, who knows in one sense, right? These are these are really difficult and complicated times, so it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see what happens in the coming months and kind of worrisome because, the number one, I think you're going to see a very strong increase in those people who are opposed to the idea of government. The, the, the mantras around freedom and the mantras around tyranny are are exaggerated but they're really finding an audience partly because of the, the frustrations but also you've got to remember in the last two years we've seen the government do way more in our lives than they've done for a long time and it isn't all about the code this is a government writing all sorts of new programs and spending big deficits so we're going to see an anti-government movement of considerable importance the question is whether the conservatives contain this within them and they try to, try to grab onto that group and keep within the Conservative Party or whether that breaks away toward the People's Party or some other organization. Um, and otherwise, using John Iverson's point, which he made in, in a column actually just, just today, um, is whether or not we're going to see the emergence of, a, of another party. You know, I think right now about 50 percent of Canadians are not well represented by any political party. They're not Greens, they're not Liberals, they're not Conservatives, they're not NDPers. They're actually just kind of old, you know, uh, Bill Davis, if you understand the Ontario reference, right? Bill, Bill Davis Canadians who are, they want good, decent government, they want to build proper infrastructure, they want to be left alone to start new businesses, they want to have some, some great economic opportunities. That's where Canadians are. But the parties right now are are fragmenting and not representing us very well. So the question is, will will the political parties chase after this, this kind of renegade vote, or will they sort of sit back and think, who are we not hearing from? You know, you have the very shrill commentaries by Mark Carney on one side of talking about sedition and treason and using language we've never heard of before. We've got a prime minister who is deliberately dividing the country and calling people really nasty names. I'm sure there are some racists out there somewhere among all those tens of thousands of people across the country. But I'm also sure it's a very, very small number. Um, and that the vast majority of them are people who are not reacting that way. They, they see it very, very differently. And and so I think we've got a, a, a prime minister who's dividing people rather than unifying. a liberal party represented by Mark Carney who's going in one direction. The conservatives basically trying to flip flop like a fish on the dock, trying to figure out which way they want to go yeah. back in the boat or back in the water. And, right. and I, I think this this uncertainty is going to really haunt us for the next next year or two or three
0: we have mr Foxcroft and mr caruth back with us ron david good to have you back thank you
5: thank you thank you very much roy
0: yeah let, let's start with this and uh, fox let me begin with you as trucking firm owners as a trucking firm owner what's your reaction to the convoys and the blocking of roads in ottawa the police are calling in an occupation, and then there's the Ambassador Bridge as well. What's your reaction to that?
6: Let me take you back to the beginning, Roy. We talked about this on your show. Uh, what was the match that lit the fuse? And, and we said, David and I both said, uh, we don't oppose the regulation of uh, being vaccinated to cross the border. What we oppose is the timing. Trucking is a difficult industry in the winter time. so let's move it, let's pause it until June, And everybody get together. Then we suggested that uh, to make that happen, Justin bring a Tim Hortons coffee and Joe come with a Dunkin' Donuts and they work it out and move it till June. That didn't happen. That infuriated uh, some of the members of the trucking industry, uh, of which David and I did not join the the trucker protest. Right now, uh, something has been exposed, Roy and and uh, obviously that fuse was lit and and then there was a convoy and obviously something is not working with the government right now and that's called ignore this thing got out of hand in in ottawa three weeks ago the a uh, federal government pushed ignore and now it's at the terrible situation that it's at today and it's grown into a much larger faction. Roy, I'm very disappointed in the media for continuing to call it a trucker protest. Yes, it started by some truckers out out uh, you know wherever it started, but it's now grown into a much larger angrier faction of Canadians that have become, and has become very volatile. However, mm-hmm. it's called, I guess, the trucker's convoy because the trucks are large and they're the most visible, and this is where it got yeah. started.
0: Yeah, that, that's why, uh, because they are large, they are visible, and they've become symbols. Uh, David, what's your sense uh, about this current situation? Three weeks in, do you also, as Ron says, uh, feel that the federal government has been largely ineffective by its intended absence from taking decisions?
7: Yeah, I I,
5: I think, um, for instance, I think they've paid themselves in a corner right now. Um, and, and I think it, back when this started, had we pushed this out, um, that was very close to being done, obviously, as we knew with the announcements that went out and got walked back, um, we would have had more time to consider and now I think the government's put themselves in a the corner. And, you know, I agree with Ron's uh, statement. This has grown from a trucking convoy to, I guess we could call it a freedom of rights convoy. And, uh, you know, you can't question some of that, you know, the freedom of the rights and, and what, what citizens have as individuals. Uh, I, I would just support, you know, if there is a protest, then let's do it peace, peacefully. Let's not block traffic. Let's not block uh, commerce. Let's you know, you know, put put our stuff on paper and put it down. And if the government stops ignoring uh, and starts listening, and we can have some fruitful
6: discussions, uh, then potentially we can move forward.
0: Roy, okay. well, yeah, Go ahead, Fox.
6: Can I deal with something that possibly will get you suspended by the CRTC? But I have to <laughs> say nothing
0: it. new about that with you.
6: Uh, no, you know what's uh, become obvious: a partisan party politics is not working in running our country because every time the government makes a decision and i'm not going to finger any one particular party but they always start it with they name their party and then they say this is something that we're going to do for the good of canadians and what it really is is what will most benefit our party and make us look good once they're elected roy they're no longer first loyalty is to their party. Their first loyalty is to Team Canada. Even though people didn't elect them, they're still responsible for serving the people of Canada, Team Canada. And I'll just finish by giving you an example. This week I spent 90 seconds watching Question Period. And I had to decide whether it was a comedy, a drama, a sitcom, a reality show, or a soap opera. If it was comedy, I would be insulting a comedy show that I watched as a kid called Captain Kangaroo, and that would be insulting Mr. Green Jeans, Captain Kangaroo, and Mr. Moose. It's absolutely terrible. We could solve this problem if the three parties got together in a sandbox, shoulder to shoulder, and said, we must fix this. We must serve Canadians. Let's not leave this sandbox without a solution that we can communicate. Partisan party politics is done
0: it's always been well I shouldn't say it's always been that way but it's been this way for a long time if you watch Question Period and I do periodically as you have and I'm sure you have David what you hear is somebody asking a question of a member across the House generally it's the opposition asking the government a question and the question isn't answered the government rep in this case I watched uh, Candace Bergen and Justin Trudeau on vaccine mandates it's on my Twitter feed at the Roy Green Show Ms. Bergen asked Mr. Trudeau a question. He never even got close to answering the question. He went on his own talking points. And this is what frustrates people across the country. But bringing this full circle, and I have to take a break in a sec, I know you guys are staying with us a few minutes longer. So the federal government has essentially had a hands-off approach. They haven't done anything. Their contributions have been minimal at best. They handed it over to local police, and they handed it over to the provinces. So when in, in Ontario, Doug Ford, the premier, declared an emergency with fines up to $100,000, loss of truck registrations, and difficulty crossing the border going forward if individuals are convicted of obstruction when they're told to get out of the way. Is this the appropriate approach at this particular time, David?
5: Hmm. Well, you know what? I wish I could answer that with conviction. Um, I I certainly, I I think it's the only thing that Mr. Ford could do, uh, other than than going out himself and speaking face to face with people at the bridges. Uh, I really think that our federal government, um, uh, you know, fumbled this one and and certainly don't have the ability to walk it back. And I think the only way they can walk it back is, they, is if they lift all restrictions and all mandates sort of thing and and just say, okay, let's just move forward. 80% vaccinated, we said we were going to do that when we got over
0: 80%, so now let's move forward. In early December, when we first spoke, you pointed out that between 5 and 30% of trucks that should be on the road or not because you don't have the drivers to get them out there the the freight is there to be moved but you don't have the drivers so you can't move the trucks fox beginning with you are you increasingly frustrated and is that number still as it was or is it getting worse it's getting worse roy because right now
6: you see uh, we have a, a further shortage of employees because if you have cold symptoms um, rightfully so you're instructed to quarantine for 5 days so we have had that situation exap- exasperate the, the the problem but roy you you ask um uh, us both if uh, this 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 problem is is getting worse. Are we getting more frustrated? Absolutely, Roy. We do business at Fox 40 in 140 countries, and every time we go to a trade show, people say, are you Canadian? And the answer is yes, and they turn and say, we love you. What's happening right now by pushing ignore by our federal government, which our federal government have done uh, similar at the Caledonia Six Nations of the Grand River mm-hmm. land dispute that started in 1995. And now I'm going to finger all parties. All parties have had a chance to govern in Canada. Nobody has done anything for the uh, Caledonia land dispute, uh, Six Nations of the Grand River land dis- dispute in 25 years by pushing ignore the same thing has happened here. By pushing ignore for three weeks, we've brought shame and embarrassment to our country. Okay. Answer your question. I am more frustrated than we were four weeks
7: ago.
0: All right. Let me, uh, David, just before I go to you, let me bring Owen on the line. He just called in. We didn't ask for anybody to call. But Owen's calling, and I think uh, we, we need to talk to him. He is uh, um, a trucker himself. Owen, you've, you've experienced trucker issues. Um, Activity in the United States. I'm, I'm, what do you I'm want to right. say
7: here? <laughs> well, a long time ago, I've been in the industry for 37 years, going on 38. And I was down in the States when they had, I, I don't know if your guests remember the big trucker states down in the States when California got completely blocked. And, <laughs> and uh, I mean, they didn't go block the Capitol. I mean, if they break up the Capitol, all they have to do is switch and do what they did in that trucker strike and they hamstrung everybody. Nobody could get out of the truck stops anywhere. I personally was blocked, had to call my dispatch, and instead of getting into a big problem, they just, I just took a taxi to the airport and there was a plane ticket waiting for me to come home. Mm -hmm. Left the truck and everything down there. So, I mean, if they break up Ottawa or that bridge, all they have to do is just turn to the tactics that were used, you know, 30 years ago.
0: Okay. Owen, I appreciate the call. Uh, David Carruth, your thoughts maybe on what Owen just said also on whether your frustration level is growing. And then by extension, we had started talking about the supply chain problems in December. That hasn't gone away. This current situation can't be making the supply chain issues any less. David, go ahead.
5: you correct. So for instance, um, my senior team, my business development team, all of our client service folks have been on the phone for the last week and a half, all day, every day. Uh, whether it's with our clients, giving them an update as to when the freight can move or what the cost is going to move. I had one of our major key clients ask us to move a bunch of stuff, provide them rates to move stuff east, west, Canada over the road. And the response was, we can't give you rates. Everything's a spot quote. The rates change ridiculously hour by hour sort of thing. It's, um, it's a frustration level, not only with the trucking companies, but with the, the shipper groups within the transportation companies. Um, and I certainly, um, I I certainly kind of respect what, uh, uh, what the, the demonstration is trying to do, but it's affecting the, the, quality of, of being able to cross the border for the professional drivers that are still trying to drive, still trying to continue to move the goods and keep the economy flowing.
0: Yeah. So, so let me ask you this, Mr. Foxcroft, ultimately it's the consumer, it's the average Canadian person who's trying to get through life, pay the bills, buy the groceries, pay the taxes. Inflation is on us, uh, fuel costs more, you know more about that than most people, how hard Does this have the potential to hit the average Canadian in the wallet?
6: Beyond description, Roy, Uh, David made a very good point. Costs are skyrocketing and going through the roof. And if uh, we can just go back to when we were on your national show three or four weeks ago, when we suggested to the government, why don't you just throw the trucking industry a little bone reduce the tax on fuel, reduce the carbon tax, move this border regulation to June the 1st, give the trucking uh, industry an opportunity to regroup and get through a difficult winter period. Now that the costs have skyrocketed, Roy, that has to be passed along to the consumer. The consumer, the grocery store, the consignee ultimately you and me and every Canadian that needs to buy groceries, this increase, skyrocketing cost, has to be passed on to the poor, hardworking, family, honest Canadians. It's a big problem. And now, on top of that, we have these ter- these protests. And David said it best. I don't want to inflame this situation. There's some people with. And I have some... 20 seconds, Fox. I have okay. 20 seconds left. There's legitimate, legitimate concerns. concerns. But what we don't agree with, David and I, is breaking the law and violence and Mm -hmm. and doing bad things to hardworking family people.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.